Our scripture today is from 1 John 4, 9 through 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So it is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, Willie did a wonderful job this morning. Where are you sitting, Willie? Where is he? Willie? Willie? Thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, I think we're all, we're, we're more prepared and we're ready um, to prepare ourselves. Um, I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We were able to go and be with Stuart's family for a huge family reunion um, in Gulf Shores at the beach. It was a little cold for really, you know, enjoying the beach until yesterday. But we had a good time and we ate too much and we sat around too much. And so I hope you did all that too. I hope you had a really great time of just eating too much and sitting around too much. But this morning we are first Sunday of Advent and we're beginning a new sermon series called Cherish. And each week through the Sundays of Advent we'll be discovering, discussing a different attribute of Jesus that we should cherish, a different part of that gift that we have in Jesus that we should cherish together. Um, today we'll explore the gift of grace that we have in Jesus Christ. And I was, I was praying about this this morning and I was thinking, Lord, please let this just be more than another sermon where it's just words and we hear it and we think that's a good idea and then we go home and everything's the same. Let this, Lord, be a morning where we can just stop thinking about what's coming next we can put our phones down. We can relax our shoulders. And Lord, even if we've heard this news about your grace a hundred times, a thousand times, let us hear it again like it's new. And maybe you're in here and, and you've just never really fully understand, understood God's grace and you've never received that. Maybe this morning, I was just praying this, that somebody in here doesn't feel worthy of God's grace, that you would just hear that, it would just fall on you, and you would be receptive in a way to it that you never have been before. That's my prayer for us this morning. Uh, because if you've been in church for any amount of time, you have heard about God's grace and you have sung about God's grace. But let's let it pour over our heads this morning and get into us in a way that maybe it hasn't before. Okay? Well, let's pray together as we start. Heavenly Father, we love you and we trust you. And Lord, we expect that as we listen, as we sit at your feet, as we open our hearts and our minds to you, that you will speak. Lord, our job is to listen and to receive. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to do that this morning. Come and speak. Speak to us in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so what exactly, what exactly is grace? Um, it's what we heard in our scripture passage this morning. That it was not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And he sent his son for us. I mean, basically, grace is just this unmerited favor of God. There was nothing we did to earn it. It was just a free gift that God gave to us. I love you. You have my favor. Grace, basically, is, is getting what you don't deserve. 
Or you could reverse that and say, it's not getting what you do deserve. That's what grace is. And now I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about a time that you know you have been a recipient of grace. Think about a time that you know you got something that you didn't deserve or that you didn't get something you did deserve. Okay, so I, I have been the recipient of grace more times than I can count, but one specific uh, circumstance comes to mind. I was 17 years old. I was traveling with five of my friends to Jackson, Mississippi from Kosciuszko. So we had to drive about an hour and 15 minutes up the Natchez Trace to get to Jackson. Um, I was driving my car I'd had for about four months. Five of my friends headed to North Park Mall, and I wasn't really sure where I was going. Okay, so we get to the mall, and there's a road that goes around the mall. And so if you're going around, you have the stop signs, and the people coming in, they have the right-of-way. They get to go on through. Well, I wasn't really sure where I was going. Add to that that it had just started raining. I was 17, and there were five of us girls in the car. So it was noisy. I mean, it was the perfect storm for an accident. Right, So I'm driving around, and I'm not real sure where I'm going. I look out my window to see if that's my turn, and when I turn to look forward again, what did I see? A stop sign that I was way too close to. So I hit the brakes, though, trying to stop, but because the road was wet, what happened? Slid right through it, and I T-boned this car this lady that had just, she was, gets out, she's crying. I just had $2,500 worth of work done on my car. And I mean, I just slammed right into the side of her. Just hit her. I was completely guilty. The, the accident was my fault. Completely my fault. But the officer who showed up to the accident site, he didn't give me a ticket. I deserved a ticket. I mean, I was completely at fault there. But what he did was he saw how upset I was. And he pulls me aside, and instead of giving me a harsh judgment, he spoke to me sternly, but it was more like a father to a daughter. And he explained to me that I needed to pay more attention and how important it was because somebody could get hurt one of these times. I could get hurt. So he corrected me, and he was stern with me, but he was compassionate with me, and he didn't give me a ticket. Now, I was guilty, and I deserved a ticket that day for that accident, but what he didn't know, and what I was really glad he didn't know, was that I had really built a really bad case against myself for how much I did deserve that ticket, how much I did not deserve any of his grace, because what he didn't know was that at age 14, when I was practicing in our driveway while I was taking driver's ed, I drove my dad's car into the side of our house. I broke the car. I broke the house. We lived in the church parsonage, which was the church-owned home. My mom, the trustees, the trustees. I mean, she's freaking out. He didn't know that when I was 16, I accidentally left my car out of gear in our carport and my car rolled out of our driveway into the neighbor's yard and slammed into one of their trees. He didn't know that my youth counselor in my youth group had nicknamed me Dent because I had really built up this reputation of putting dents in car. He didn't know that at age 17, really recently, I had backed into a light pole. He didn't know all this stuff. He knew I was guilty of the accident that day, and he still chose to give me grace and compassion and mercy. But I knew even more than he did how guilty I was. I knew 
that I hadn't been the best driver and that I was guilty. You know, God coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ is just pure grace. We did nothing to deserve God drawing near to us the way that he did. There was absolutely nothing that we had done to deserve his kindness. I mean, in fact, all we had managed to do as a human race was build a case against ourselves for how guilty we really were. So the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to the Christians in Rome, and he's about to explain to them God's grace. He's about to explain to them who Jesus was and why he was so important and what his sacrifice meant. But before he could get to that, he had to explain to them why he needed to come, why we were in such need for Jesus to do for us what he did. And so what he does in Romans 3, 8 through 10, is he just lays out a series of scriptures from the Old Testament that really just show that we had built this case against ourselves that just proved our guilt before God. So I want you to listen to this. This is Romans 3, 8 through 10. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throats are opened graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He's just quoting scriptures. He's just quoting scriptures. But what he's saying here is that we are all guilty before God. But instead of getting what we did deserve, God chose a different way. He chose compassion. He chose mercy. Jesus, the Son of God, emptied himself and he took on our flesh. And the term we use for that, which you may have heard in the church before, is incarnation. And that word just literally means enfleshing or taking on a flesh. And that's what Jesus did. He took on our flesh and he became like us. So he could stand in our place before God and give us what we didn't deserve. Namely, freedom from sin, restoration from brokenness, and life with God. It was out of pure compassion and love for us that he came. He didn't have to do it. We didn't deserve it. And that's grace. That's grace. I have an out-of-state friend who contacted me not too long ago with the problem that involved this question of grace. Specifically, it was about extending grace to somebody else. So she called me and um, she told me that recently she had joined a, an intramural group and she was enjoying it a lot and having a great time. But the only problem as she saw it was that there was another person involved at the same place who had been um, convicted of a crime 
a specific crime. I'm not going to mention it just for um, sensitivity. She had, she had done her time and she was out, but the, the general view towards this person was that she hadn't really gotten what she deserved. It, it was too light. You know, she hadn't done enough time. Um, so she also had this reputation of being not a nice person. People just didn't like her. So my friend continued, though, to be a part of this intramural group where this woman was, but she rarely had any direct contact with her until they were both signed up for a similar event, and there was a really strong possibility that my friend could be paired with this woman. And that's when she contacted me with her questions. And this is what she said, what should I do if I'm paired with this person? Is that going to make me look bad? Is it going to look like I accept what she did? Okay, now my sweet, honest friend, she just laid it out there before me. I mean, she said to me out loud, what a lot of us might think, but never say out loud. And I think she knew what she should do, but she was just struggling with what that would really look like lived out in reality, what all that means. It's good on paper right? It's good to say grace is a really good idea. I think we should all do it, and I would like people to treat me that way. But when it comes to doing it in real life, it's, it gets a little messy, doesn't it? So we talked for a while, and, and here's just in a nutshell what my response to her was. I said, I think you should enjoy what you're doing and have a good time no matter who you're paired with. And I think you should be kind to her, even if she's not kind even if she doesn't deserve it. It's an opportunity to show her grace. No one is nice to her. No one speaks to her. What would it mean for her, for you, to be kind to her? Susan, you do not know her. She is not a nice person. And what she did, if it was anything else, I could get past it. But not that. You see, what my friend was struggling with was some pretty big issues. Would this woman's past tarnish my reputation if I'm associated with her? And even more, if I'm kind to her. And you know what? She's not nice. I don't want to be kind to her. And, and I just can't get past what she did. See, my friend was struggling to see beyond this woman's past and her not niceness to see the person who was in need of kindness and grace. Now let me just say that while I believe my counsel to her was right on and I believe it was what is what Christ would do and what he did, it is much easier to advise someone else to do that in their situation that is outside of you than it is to do that when it's you and it's a difficult person that you're dealing with. So I'm just going to put that out there. When it's me, I need somebody to speak that same truth to me and encourage me to behave the same way and extend grace in the same way. And let me just say this about my friend. She is not a shallow and uncaring person. She is a kind, loving person who gives and gives all the time, who overlooks the past and the poor behaviors of other people all the time. So with that, she can pour grace over their heads. I mean, she is that person. And you know what? She wouldn't have called me if she didn't really want to do the right thing. She was just being honest about the struggle. But you know what? She just hit a wall. 
she encountered a place where in her own strength, her grace could not go. This situation just exposed the limit of how far her grace could reach. But here's what I want every one of us to grasp about the loving grace of our God. It has no limits. No limits. There is no point at which God will look at you and say, you have exceeded the bounds that I am willing to go. My grace, my, my love, my forgiveness, my favor, my acceptance is no longer able to reach you there. In fact, just the opposite is true. God says to us, I have exceeded the bounds that you can fathom my grace going. You can't even comprehend the height, the depth, the length to which my grace will go for you. Listen, we struggle with whether or not we will look bad if we associate with certain people or extend a loving kindness to certain people. Jesus, however, did not share our struggles. He was not embarrassed to put on our injured flesh and become one of us. He was never concerned that identifying with us would make him look bad. I mean, in fact, he regularly associated with the least of us, with the worst of us, in order to show the extent to which his father's love was willing to reach. You know, we find it hard to see past the sins and the failures of other people. But God became one of us in order to redeem us from our, our failures and the sin that would separate us from him. He saw our sin, yes, but he didn't condemn us for it. He came and he did something about it. And so when he looks at you, he doesn't see you as sin. He doesn't see you as your past. He doesn't see you as your failures. He sees someone he loves. He sees you. And he loves you. So as we enter this season of preparing our hearts to receive our Savior, this is what I want us to just really immerse ourselves in as we begin. Because if we don't start here and get this, it's going to be, we're going to be missing out on a level of joy and peace that we can really receive from Christ. His grace is always available no matter where we are. But these are the things I want us to really consider and think, how much more open do I need to be to this? First, we are accepted. We are accepted. Jesus is the light of God. He breaks into our darkness of our shame and our guilt, and he tells us that we are not forgotten, that we are not out of reach, that we are accepted. We can't be good enough for it. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. His love is already perfect. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. You are accepted. I want you to listen to this quote 
um, from the theologian Paul Tillich. He says, it strikes us when year after year the longed-for perfection of life does not appear, when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it's as though a voice were saying, you are accepted. You are accepted. Accepted by that which is greater than you. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens to us, we experience grace. After such an experience, we may not be better than before, and we may not believe more than before, but everything is transformed. In that moment, grace conquers sin, and reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement. You are accepted. Second thing, remember, God took the initiative to save and redeem you. And if you are accepted, and if God took the initiative to save and redeem you, he took the initiative to save and redeem everybody. Everybody. Same grace, same love for the whole world. Even the people we don't like. Even the people who are guilty. Even the people who are not nice. God took the initiative. Remember our verse this morning, 1 John 4, 9 through 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is one of the essential truths of the gospel, that out of his great love for us, God has taken the initiative to save and deliver us. So this morning, just consider, have you received God's gift of grace? Have you received it? I mean, maybe, maybe you haven't felt worthy of it. It is available for you. You are accepted. Maybe you received his grace at one point in your life, but you've just been distant from it, and you've been living life on your own strength and your own power, just trying to get by with what you got, and you just need to let God's grace just pour into you and over you for some situations that you're in right now. Are you receiving God's gift of grace? Don't shut the door to it. Don't close up the path of which it needs to enter into your life. Be wide open to it. Wide open to his grace. And accept your acceptance. Accept your acceptance. Second question, last question. Who do you need to extend grace to? Who needs to receive grace from you? In what situations have you encountered where you're like my friend, I just cannot go there. Where do you need God to remind you 
you didn't deserve it either. Give it freely. Where do you need to extend grace? How can you begin to be a dispenser of God's grace? Last scripture, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not require to regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let the same mind be in you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Because without your grace, Lord, we would be lost and we would be dead. And there would be no hope for us. But Lord, you have come and you have sought us out. And you have done what was necessary so that we could be with you and we could be whole. And we could be restored from our brokenness. And Lord, this is easy for us to think about and accept from you sometimes, Lord, but it's so hard to give it to others who need that from us. Father, I pray that you would just pour into us your grace and your power so that we can be people who extend love, who extend compassion, who extend kindness and mercy, who are dispensers of grace, Lord. Remind us today, Father, what you have done for us. May we sit in it. May we let you pour it over our heads. May we receive it. And then may it flow out of us freely and purely for the sake of the world, Lord, and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue in our worship, our ushers are coming. As we give to God his tithes and our offerings, let's worship together.